0: Well, if you've got your Bible, it's very helpful to have them open uh, to Matthew 28. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. Also, uh, you'll find uh, an outline for notes, uh, if that is your custom, uh, that you will find uh, in the sheets that you uh, would have received at the door. Uh, and also, you'll note down the bottom... Uh, it says SMS questions Two, and there is a number which goes to a magic little phone that I think Mark has, so if you have questions that are raised by the sermon, opportunity to ask them, and i 'll answer a few of them at the end. but I thought we 'd actually start with uh, a little bit of a quiz uh, because i I actually think there 's not enough c- competition in church, so we 're going to play you off against each other uh, we 've got three distinct groups here. I want to see this morning which of you is the smartest. Okay, I went and, uh, unbeknownst to the Chapmans, I raided Ben's tool shed. Now, if you know anything about Ben, he is an avid collector of weird and wonderful tools. And I thought I'd actually see whether you were able to discern what some of these were. So, your group one, you get the one at the top. You get the one in the middle. You get the one at the at the bottom. Okay, go for it. You've got a couple of minutes. What is this? Talk amongst yourselves, talk amongst yourselves, see if you can work it out. So the top one is for you, okay, the bottom one. You're not answering for them, Peter. There's always one, isn't there? Okay, does anyone want to hesitate? Okay, I want this group to show me just how smart you are. What is the thing at the top? Any ideas? Yeah? I don't know what it's called, but it actually a Yeah, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It is a thing that measures the strength of gunpowder. Uh, so this little gauge, and as you shoot, uh, the gauge goes across, uh, and there you have it. Okay, can you see that? I didn't know that either. Okay, Ben, what? Why have you got that? That's weird. Anyway, um, number two. Okay, a harmonica. I reckon you do a serious injury to yourself if you tried to play something with that. A stirrup? Well, possible. Anything else? It's not a stirrup. It's definitely not a harmonica. Yeah. Nutcracker's clothes, sorry, Rick? Oh, a juice hut, no, no. It's actually a thing for cutting and husking corn, uh, if you can work that one out. <laughs> and uh, this one, if you're listening carefully, maybe you've got an idea of what it was. What is it? The one at the bottom. It is a rope maker. Very good. Oh, there we go. It is a thing for actually, you put them all together and you turn the handles and it weaves it all. I thought, look, yeah, well, well spotted, Peter. It's, it's a shame that that wasn't your group, okay? Um, yeah, yeah, okay. But each of these were created for a very specific purpose. And as soon as you name it, as soon as you identify it, you can kind of work out what it's for. You could use them for different things. Can I say, if, um, if your surgeon approaches you with any of those tools, run away. Uh, but you could imagine that perhaps, you know, the rope maker, you could use it as some kind of a blender, uh, perhaps. You could try the corn husker as a stirrup, although I imagine you probably would lose your foot eventually. I don't know what you'd use for the gunpowder strength tester, uh, but you could kind of flex, but it wouldn't work very well, would it? They are specific tools designed for a specific purpose. The person who had the brilliant idea and patent these tools, uh, they knew what they were for. It's the same when it comes to church. We should know what church is and what it's for but church is a phenomenally confusing thing we make it even worse in English can I say because our word for church can mean multiple different things so 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 for some people for church church is 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 the clergy it's the pastors it's the priests for others it's denominations and so I have a whole lot of literature sitting on my desk riveting reading from the Anglican church But it's not talking about one body, it's talking about a whole denomination. Sometimes we use church as a word to talk about a building, a place where religious kind of things happen. And sometimes you may even find that it's used for a bunch of people. Which actually is it? Because as we go through our vision series, it's really important that we work out what the church is and what it actually should be doing. Because its designer, its maker, has a purpose for it. And it's not up for us to kind of go, oh, let's see what we think. If the church is actually to be obedient, if the church is actually to flourish, it actually has to do what its designer made for it. Now, I've got five uh, points this morning. None of them really start with the same, or some of them do. They're really tricky. What, why, how, when, Okay, amazing creativity there. And then God's mission, our church. And as I reminded you, uh, if you want to ask questions, there is an opportunity to do so via the SMS and we'll have a time to answer those at the end. So what on earth is the church? What is the church? Is it the clergy? Is it the building? Is it the denomination? Is it the people? Well, it's the people. It's the people that have been gathered together by the preaching and teaching of the gospel. It's the people that God has drawn to himself by inspiring faith by his spirit in their lives. And so we are the people, the people that God has actually brought together. The actual Greek word church that we translate church in the New Testament uh, is the Greek word ecclesia, which just means the gathered, the gathered ones. So it's not buildings. It's not denominations, organisational structures. It's not pastors or priests or clergy or whatever. It is actually the community of Christ's disciples. That is what the church is. And its maker had a purpose. Remember the Lord Jesus. When Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus at that point says... I will build my church. That's what he does. Its maker has a purpose. What is the purpose? Well, it was read for us this morning in Matthew 28. Now, my little screen is mucking up here, so I'm going to have to turn around and read it. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Jesus has been raised from the dead at this point. He sent them to Galilee. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This early church, this group of disciples comes to the Lord Jesus and he gives them a task. He gives them a command and the command, sorry to those who represent mission organisations here this morning, the command is not to go. A lot of people go. It's all about going. No, the command here is to make disciples. That is the command that is at the center of this. If you're a grammar nut uh, and you like technicalities of language, okay, all the other ideas, all the other doing words in here are participles. So they hang off the main verb, which is make disciples. That is what Jesus is telling his church, the community of his disciples to do, to be disciple making disciples. But then we have to actually ask, what's a disciple? It's not a word that we use very often, is it? It's not a word that's in common lingo. Unless you're watching Star Wars movies and those sorts of things, you've got disciples there. And then we often think of you know, guys with dinner plates behind their heads people sort of totally out of touch. But what is a disciple? It's much more simple than that. We just use different words to talk about them. A disciple... At one level is a student, but not so much can I say the student that sits in the classroom and just absorbs information. Probably a better term would be a disciple is actually an apprentice, an apprentice of Jesus. So you remember when Jesus calls out the the 12, and what was it to be with him and to learn from him? It wasn't just a turn up at this time and I'll give you a theology lecture. It was to share life and be shaped by the Lord Jesus who was the teacher. The disciples were apprentices of Jesus and the aim of their discipleship was not just knowledge. It wasn't just skills. It was character. Jesus himself said that a student is not above the teacher but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. The aim of discipleship is to be like Christ. And so what is the church? The church is the community of God's, Christ's disciples who then have the purpose to make more of themselves. Disciples making disciples. And this is a mission that has been going on now for 2,000 years and it will continue. We'll get to that. So why? Why is Jesus keen that his church, the church that he is building, be be a community of disciple-making disciples? Well, a couple of reasons uh, why. Firstly, his authority. What does Jesus say when he turns up to the disciples? He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has the right Jesus owns everything. There is nothing that is outside of his sway. Jesus is king and his father, the Lord who created the heavens and the earth by the power of his word, his father has given him that authority. Jesus is king. And the promise is in Philippians chapter two that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so as we go to make disciples, we do it in obedience to the command of the all-powerful Christ. And what we do is we proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is what we do. Why do we do it? Because Jesus has ultimate authority. Not only that, though. Not only that. Jesus could be a tyrant, but he's not. We do it because of the beauty and the wonder of the grace of God to us in Christ. So as you unpack this command, go and make disciples, how do you do it? Well, the first thing you do is you baptise. You baptise disciples. Okay? And what is baptism a symbol of? Why do we baptise? baptism is a symbol of membership into the community of disciples. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a sign of belonging. It's a symbol of the atonement. So if you go into chapters like Romans chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul writes there, he talks about being united with the death and resurrection of Christ through baptism, a symbol of dying and rising. We see the imagery of being cleansed, of being washed clean from our sin through the atonement, not through the water of baptism, that's nothing that's just water it's through the symbol what the symbol points to which is the resurrection the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus but it's not just the beauty of salvation in terms of something that is future I think as Christians sometimes we can we can view our Christian lives like a term deposit does anyone do the, the banks now offer about two percent, so it's not really worth it. But when I was a young man, the banks used to offer you about eight percent to chuck your money, or you lock your money away, and then in a three or four or five or ten years, you get it back with all the interest. And I think sometimes we can view our Christian lives like a term deposit. We kind of lock all the fun away, and we kind of go, we got all these do's and don'ts, and all oh, yeah, 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 but it's going to pay off in the end." Can I say, if that's how you think about the Christian life, you're kind of missing the point. Because salvation is a life that starts now. I want to read to you from Psalm 19. It's a great psalm which speaks about how God speaks to his people, but listen to how God's word impacts our lives. From verse 7, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, Than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them is great reward. If we have a view of the Christian life of obedience to Christ, like locking up our lives, no fun until it pays off in the future, we're missing the fact that actually the blessing of God, the beauty of grace, transforms now. The truth of his word comes back. And it transforms our life now. And we're going to explore more of this uh, in the weeks to come. So, so far we proclaim we make disciples because of the authority of Christ, the beauty of his grace, but also the reality of his judgment. Because Jesus went to the cross not just as some abstract example of sin, but in a very real sense, as the one who stood in our place, who bore our penalty. He bore the cost of our rejection, of our turning away from God, wanting nothing to do with him. God would be just to condemn every single one of us. But we go out. We go out driven by the need that we ourselves have found met in Christ alone. The Bible speaks of hell. Jesus speaks of hell more than any other Bible writer. It's not a very comfortable topic for us, is it? It uses images as Jesus speaks, as the Bible writer speaks, images of fire, of darkness, of weeping. They're images to convey a reality that is too horrific for us to comprehend. And the very clear message is don't go there. People kind of go, oh, you know, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a party with all my mates. No, parties and mates are good things. They will be with God in heaven as the community of disciples parties with all their mates around the throne. Don't go there. We proclaim Christ, we disciples make disciples because coming into the community of disciples by faith in the death and resurrection of Christ is the way to party eternally with your mates. Judgment is real. So how do we do this? If we are the community that is disciples making disciples, how do we do it? Well, Jesus does give us a method. He gives us two steps. Number one is baptism, to initiate people into the community of disciples. Now, I've heard people, I've been a pastor now for almost 20 years, and I've had not infrequently discussions with people of, you know, I'm a Christian, I believe... I'm part of the universal church. I don't feel that I need to belong to a local church. Can I say, it's not a biblical idea. It's not a biblical idea. Belonging to church, a local body, is indispensable in the path of discipleship. Because you are incorporated into the body of Christ. You are brought into the household of God, as Mark has been reminding us from 1 Timothy. You can't live the Christian life. It makes no sense apart from the community of Christ's disciples. Christianity is essentially a team sport. It's like, uh, how many players in an AFL team? Sorry, I've only lived in it essay for 11 years and I still don't, is it, is it 16, 18? 18? Imagine if you ran on the field to play the game by yourself. Can you imagine what the score would be at the end? You cannot win that game. But God incorporates us into his team, into his family, into his household, into the body of Christ, into the temple of the living God. It is essentially life together. That's step one. We incorporate them into the body and then we teach them to obey everything that Christ commanded. Paul in Romans 1 talks about the goal of his mission is to bring about the obedience of faith. I love that phrase, the obedience of faith. Because sometimes we can reduce Christianity down to abstract concepts. Christianity does have those concepts, but all of them hit the ground running in obedience, in the life that is laid before us, that we are called to live. That is why at Trinity churches around Adelaide, at any church that is, uh, I think, being faithful, the word of God will be central because Jesus commanded us to teach Disciples to obey his commands, and so that is what we do. But how do we do it? I've been ministry, as I said, almost twenty years. I've I've never converted anyone. I've never brought anyone to repentance. It's beyond my power. It's beyond your power. Can I say I've seen people converted? God, by His grace has done it, and he has honoured me in using me in that process. But I cannot do it. Can you imagine the 11 disciples standing on that mountain? The whole earth make disciples. You kind of feel a little overwhelmed. You know, it's like mum and dad, they go away and they leave you and they say, clean the house. And you look at that and go, oh, really? Really? This is clean the house on a cosmic scale. How on earth can you... You can't even... You can't make a di- one disciple. How do you make a world full of disciples? Well, this is the promise that Colin tapped into in the kids' talk. With the great command comes the great consolation. What's Jesus say? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In John's gospel, he talks about as he goes away, he sends the Spirit, another counsellor. And as the Spirit comes, the Father and the Son together are with us and amongst us. And it is in his power. It is in his power that his disciples make more disciples. So not only are we people of the word, but we must be people of prayer. When do we do it? Well, Jesus has given a time frame. It started about 33 AD, give or take a few years, however you date the resurrection. And it goes until the very end of the age. It goes until Jesus comes with judgment and salvation. Why? Not because we like building institutions. It's because there is desperate, desperate need. People ask, why, why would Trinity Church send people away? Why would we send a whole lot of our dear brothers and sisters, uh, Colin and Sharon leading them down to Woodcroft next year and we're going to miss you? Why would we do that? Because there is a desperate need for more churches preaching Christ in that area. 43% of Onkaparinka ticks no religion. And you know what? It doesn't mean that 57% say Christian. The best stat is about 3%. I want to give you an illustration. Imagine we've got a hundred people, this is a hundred people, representing the entire population of our nation. Okay, and imagine that an epidemic is sweeping our nation and this epidemic is so virulent, every single person Will be affected. And it is so vicious that apart from the vaccine, every single person will die. And not just in the here and the now, they will die in eternity. That is sin. And at the moment, 3%. If we were the World Health Organization and that was an epidemic, would we go, we've done a great job? No. What is there this morning? 150 odd people here. Of us, by those stats, four and a half. Four and a half. Just imagine looking around the room and seeing the bodies. The need is desperate. Not only is the need desperate, but those who have the vaccine so often are losing focus. Churches are turning away from their confidence in God's word. They are turning their back on the gospel of grace and so we need more churches. We need to be out there proclaiming Christ. We need to be disciples making disciples. And lastly, we do it because Christ is Lord. He is worthy of glory He is worthy of being proclaimed. And so here at Trinity Church Brighton, we've recently worked with the leadership team and the staff team to reform our little vision statement. And this is what it is. Empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace and for his glory, we make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in fellowship with his people to bless a broken world. We've tried to capture what I have just spoken about in 26 minutes and 20 seconds in one sentence. That's not so difficult that you couldn't remember it and it has a central idea. What are we on about? We are a community that make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. We are disciple-making disciples. That is what we're on about as a church. That is what we want to see more and more about. That is what we are on about as a network. That's why we're sending Shana off to SIL that we might see this happen not just in our neighbourhood but around the world as the word of God is preached in heart languages so people can see and hear the wonder of grace that saves them from the reality of judgement. These words we think express what should be at our core. They're not perfect, but they capture the elements. They're a reminder, a touchstone, that we are that community that make and grow disciples. But there's a question. Okay, teach the word baptise. It kind of leaves a lot of things open. Well, that's really what the next five weeks of sermons are about because as part of what we are doing here and a part of what we're doing as we're sending Colin and Sharon away is we're going to shift not what we do but a little bit of how we do it and instead of uh, focusing in on doing particular things we've changed the way that we're starting to think about ministry. We're starting to think about ministry in terms of and making disciples in terms of seeing key purposes worked out in people's lives. And as you go through scripture, and we'll do this over the next five weeks, you can five, find five key purposes. And what we want to see is those purposes realized in the lives of individuals and the life of our church and our churches as a whole. We're going to unpack them in detail. I'm going to hopefully show you and convince you why you want them. But what are they? You'll know me if you do. I love alliteration, okay? They all start with M. Isn't that cool? My last name starts with M too. Isn't that cooler? Okay. Magnification. It's a word. They're a bit clunky. You've got to make sure they all fit because they're all M's. But what's magnification talking about? It's talking about a life that worships God, that glorifies him in every Second, that as we live, we live for the glory of God. Don't you want to do that? We're talking about mission, we're talking about reaching out and speaking to people and seeing. God at work, don't you want to be involved? Don't you want to see lives changed? Don't you want to see people come from death to life, that that three people might become four people and by God's grace, through his power, who knows? Don't you want to be a person that God is using to save sinners? Don't you want to be part of a church that is doing that? That's mission. Membership. Don't you want to belong, to be loved, to be nurtured, to know where your spiritual home is? Don't you want to care for one another, to carry one another's burdens? Don't you want to be part of a congregation, a community, a family like that? I do. A Membership, maturity. Don't you want to see... Your life becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus. I love it when you go out into the world and people say they don't like Christians, but they love Jesus. Okay, Christians, you're meant to be like Jesus. And don't you want to get to the point where they actually see Christ clearly in you, where you are growing each day more and more like him? Don't you want that? Because I do. Maturity. Ministry. Don't you want to be equipped to serve God with your God given gifts, both in the community of disciples but out in the world as well, to bring Him glory in all things? Do you want that? I want that. I want this church to want that. That's ministry. Five M's, five purposes. And those, like the cords of a rope, weave together, I think, into the life of discipleship. And so we're going to be talking about those on the next few weeks. To be continued. I'm going to sit down now and give you an opportunity to just prayerfully reflect. You might prayerfully reflect on questions that you might want to ask. There's the number you might want to prayerfully reflect on some things that uh, you might want to go and bring before God. Two or three minutes and then Mark and I'll come back and uh, answer any questions or not. uh, And uh, then we'll sing and then we'll have coffee and continue to share our time together as church. I presume that what's behind this question is, uh, you know, recently in the media, you see the, the very public sin of church leaders Uh, and churches as a whole, Christian organisations, and so there's little to attract people. Uh, How would we respond to that? And what would I say? I think we need to acknowledge the fact that those who have spoken and acted in Christ's name have often done horrific things. Uh, Recently, the Bible Society put out a a video called uh, Christianity Much Worse and Much Better Than You Think It Is, I think it's something along those, maybe a good resource for you. But there's a point where we, we can't deny the fact that people uh, in Christ's name have done horrible things and churches uh, have, again, done horrible things. I think we can say, in all honesty, is that those things have been done in spite of the clear commands of Christ, not in obedience to them. And so uh, what we need to do as a church uh, is keep in touch with God's word. Keep in touch and growing that. And, and I think you will see a difference. But yes, there is, a, there is a PR exercise that needs to be done. And I think it is done through grace transforming the lives of believers where they go, I thought this, but you're nothing like what I thought a Christian was. Uh, but yes, the church is a broken place. It is a community of sinners. Uh, and I don't think we need to, Hide that. Uh, we know that uh, and Christ died and rose again for that. Just a couple of others quickly. Uh, we are in an age where we apologise for being Christian, too afraid to offend and judge a yep, friend or judge others. Just let me pull this up. Uh, how do we share the gospel while dodging these stereotypes? Um, very graciously. I often find uh, the best way now is not necessarily that back in the 80s and 90s when I was learning to evangelise, often it was head on uh, and, uh, and we would go in all guns blazing uh, and people were often up for the fight kind of thing, can I say? It wasn't necessarily, it was just that was the context of the time. Uh, I, I actually think Christians need to get better at asking questions uh, and uh, understanding those that we are with. So we do it very graciously and very generously and I would maintain that the gospel actually, uh, and Jesus has better answers to all the things that our world is craving. So we have a society that is desperate for so many things, and they're hunting for them in places that the prophet Jeremiah said, uh, You have rejected me, the well of living water, and you have dug your own systems, cracked systems that cannot hold water. They're looking to satisfy thirst in a place that can never do it. And I would say Jesus can answer those questions better. But we've got to understand and graciously, in some ways, wait till people ask, but we can ask them. So rather than going on the front foot necessarily with all guns blazing, I think we do need to be more careful, more respectful. Uh, But it doesn't mean that we just shut up and walk away. We look for opportunities. We go out there and we seek to answer the questions that they are asking, because Jesus has got better answers. I'm going to hand back to Mark. There was one or two more that came in, so if I didn't answer your question, by all means, come back to me. Uh, But uh, I think we've got a song. We do. Thanks for that, Cameron, and uh, feel free to chat to him afterwards if you've got any more questions. Uh, It's been a, a great reminder as we begin this vision series that we meet at church on a Sunday, not for the sake of doing so, but for the sake of growing God's kingdom and seeing God working through us, to make and grow disciples. And so with that end in mind, uh, we're going to finish our time this morning by singing a song, Let Your Kingdom Come, where we declare that desire for God to bring about his purposes through us. So let's stand and sing together.